This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Becca. Good morning, Meadows. Good to see you this morning. My name is Mark Hoffman. I'm director of worship, one of the elders, and um, privileged to be part of the preaching team as well. And it's a privilege to bring God's word today to his people. So let me pray as we uh, dive in. Lord, we're here because of you. We are here in your presence. We're here to hear from you through your word. All of us, myself included, Lord, we are under the authority of your word today. And I just pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would shape us individually and as a church to reflect Christ and that you would be glorified. We just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, early in our marriage, Gene and I, of course, as all couples do, have to figure out where you're going to go for the holidays, right? We've all been there. Probably many of us still live there. Um, and so there was one particular holiday, and I don't even remember which one it was, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas, but we were down at at her parents' house, my in-laws, and, you know, we have fun, right? We, we would play games and, and have snacks and just hang out, and we had a, a, just a great time. Um, and Jean's mom happened to have a cold at that time, and so she sent my father-in-law out to get her some cold medicine. And he was kind of gone for a while, and um, finally, after a period of time, he came back, and he had a whole bunch of bags from the store, and he was really excited about what he had gotten. He's like, guys, we've, we're set for games. We've got ice cream. I've got chips. Look, the candy. You guys like pop. I got, I got a couple of two liters of pop. And then I hear my mother-in-law say, Richard, did you remember the cold medicine? <laughs> he did not remember the cold medicine. <laughs> he was sent out on a specific errand for a specific task, and yet He did not do what he was asked to do. In our text today, Jesus is sending his disciples out on an errand. Well, really, it's more than an errand, isn't it? It's a mission. It's his mission. And he's giving them instructions on what he wants them to do. And our text in in Matthew chapter 10 today starts out by saying, these 12 Jesus sent out. But before we look at how Jesus sends out these 12. I think we want to just do a little bit of review from where we've come from. And if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you've heard both Drew Barnes and Stuart Pattison preach um, then from the end of chapter 9 and then into the beginning of chapter 10. And there was so much important overlap there. These passages are so closely intertwined. So here they are again, beginning Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. And then it goes on to name every single one of the 12, James and, and uh, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, all, all, the, all 12 guys. So before we dig deeper into today's text, we should just notice a couple of things about these previous verses that lead up to where we are today. First, we should notice that Jesus tells his disciples to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then Jesus immediately sets about demonstrating the answer to that very prayer. He's going to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to see this must be really important to Jesus. He doesn't say, guys, would you just pray that someday some of you will be sent out He doesn't say that. He says, pray earnestly, and then Jesus wastes no time in answering that very prayer. The very disciples he is instructing to pray are the very same people that he chooses to send out into his harvest. And then secondly, I think we should notice that Jesus has a process here. He calls, he gives, and then he sends. He calls his 12 disciples to himself. He gives them authority to heal and to cast out demons, and then he sends them out. He calls, he gives, and he sends. So with these things in mind, let's jump into today's text, which is Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5. And it begins, these 12 Jesus sent out. These 12. The Greek is really emphatic here. These, the twelve, the ones Jesus called to himself, his disciples, called by name Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John. These twelve Jesus sent out. And that's exactly what apostles are. They are those who are sent out. Here's a definition. Apostles means sent ones. Or commissioned representatives. The analogous Hebrew term was used for business agents, although the general concept is broader than that. A sent one acted on the full authority of the sender to the extent that he accurately represented the sender's mission. And when verse 5 says, these 12 Jesus sent out, the word being used is the verb form for the word, word apostle. It's apostello in Greek. So these 12 were sent out. They were literally apostled out by Jesus. Were they acting on the full authority of the sender? Yes. Yes, they were. Jesus gave them his authority before sending them out. Did they accurately represent the sender's mission? Yes. Yes. Because Jesus sends them out to do exactly what he himself has been doing. And as Jesus sends them out as apostles, verse 5 goes on to tell us, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. He instructed them. Now, that word is actually more often translated charged or ordered or commanded. It's actually a much stronger word than maybe this English word instructed might imply. So Jesus is giving orders 
to his specifically chosen sent out ones. And as we'll see later in the text, Jesus gives them a number of imperative commands. So everything Jesus is saying here really would have come across to the disciples as their marching orders. This is what Jesus is charging them to do. He's commanding them as he sends them out with his authority to represent his mission. And as verse 5 continues, we see that Jesus first tells them what not to do, specifically where not to go. He instructs them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Why? Isn't the, the good news of the kingdom for all nations? Yes. In fact, Jesus has already called these same disciples the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And yet, in verse 6, Jesus instructs them, saying, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here again, we see the heart of Jesus for the sheep who are harassed and helpless because they're without a shepherd. He has compassion for them. And as Matthew wrote his gospel primarily for a Jewish audience, Jewish readers of that day would have resonated with the Lord's shepherd's heart for his people. Jeremiah 50 verse 6 says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They've forgotten their fold. In Ezekiel chapter 34, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. Jesus came for all people, but first he came to his people. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. A. Lucan Williams writes this, It was only right that the proclamation of the coming of Messiah should be thoroughly made to the Jews first. Had they accepted it, they would have become the great factors in the evangelization of the Gentiles. As they rejected it, it was necessary that the offer should, apart from them, be made to others. Or as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Jesus, in this first commissioning, sends out his apostles to the lost sheep of Israel. And here is where we begin to see now all of those imperative verbs, those commands, explicit commands of Jesus. And the first one, not surprisingly, is the verb go. Go to the lost sheep. The exact same word that Jesus will use in the Great Commission He uses here. And the formula is the same. He gathers his disciples. He gives of his authority. And he gives the command to go. Go be on mission. Take up 
my mission as your own. Go into my harvest field. Go to my lost sheep. You go. And then the next imperative from Jesus is proclaim. Matthew 10, verse 7, Jesus says, And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This word proclaim can also be translated as preach. Go preach. Go publicly proclaim. And what are the disciples supposed to be proclaiming? Well, the same message that Jesus began his ministry with. All the way back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach or proclaim, it's the same Greek word, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus has called the disciples to take up his own mission, and now he has called them to proclaim his message. He commands them to go and to proclaim. And how does Jesus tell them to proclaim? He says, proclaim as you go. As you go. This has stuck with me my whole adult life. My very first job when I was 15 years old, I worked in the mall. Didn't we all, right? I don't know. Um, And I worked in a store called By the Way. B-U-Y, the way, W-E-I-G-H. Clever. And it was one of those candy stores where you go in and they've got all the bulk candy like in the big bins and stuff and you scoop it out into the bag and you buy it by weight, right? So it's my first job. I'm 15. I don't even know how I got a job when I was 15, but I did. And um, I got trained not by the manager, but by the owner of the store. And he taught me how to do the cash register and how to do the stocking and all that stuff. But the thing he told me that I'll always remember is, Mark, clean as you go. Clean as you go. There's not just a cleaning time at the end of the day, right? If you're walking up to the register, if you're out stocking, if there's a mess, you clean it up now. You clean as you go, and the store stays clean. Jesus said, proclaim as you go. There's not just a destination, right? He, he doesn't say, okay, I want you guys to just head over to this little town, set up shop there. No, he says, I want you to proclaim as you go. Just keep on proclaiming the whole way. Proclaim as you go. And then Jesus gives more of these commands in rapid succession. All imperative verbs, heal, raise, cleanse, cast out. This is very emphatic language from Jesus here. It's like he's literally saying to the disciples, the sick, you go heal them. The dead, you go raise them. The lepers, you go cleanse them. The demons, you go cast them out. Jesus has ordered the disciples to carry out his mission. He says, go where I go. He says, proclaim my message. Say what I say. And now Jesus says, perform my miracles. Do what I do. Heal, raise, cleanse, 
cast out. And then the next command from Jesus speaks to the motivation behind this mission. In verse 8, Jesus says, You received without paying, give without pay. Give without pay. Give in the same way you received. Remember the process? Jesus calls and then he gives and then he sends. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, did they need to put down a deposit? Three months room and board, Jesus, here you go. Did they need to buy a ticket or reserve a spot for the Jesus tour? Did they need to sign up for a monthly subscription for the authority to heal and to cast out demons? No. No, everything the disciples have received from Jesus has been given to them freely. And Jesus instructs them to give in exactly the same way. The word translated here, without paying, is one Greek word, doreon, which means freely, without compensation, as an undeserved gift. We can get an idea of the sense of what this word, doreon, means when we look at it, how it's used elsewhere in the New Testament, like Romans 3.23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace, Dorian, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life, Dorian, without price. All that the disciples have received from Jesus, they have received Dorian freely, without price, as a gift. So Jesus instructs them, saying, Go, carry out my mission, proclaim my message, perform my miracles, and just as you have freely received from me, go and freely give. Now, in verses 9 and 10, Jesus continues his instructions. He says, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. We heard these verses already. Not only were the disciples not to gain from their harvest work, they also need not trouble themselves with advanced preparation. They don't need to delay because they don't have enough money or because they don't think they have all the supplies that they need. They just need to go and trust that they'll be provided for. They don't need to load up on funds. Jesus says you don't need to bring a bag, which likely could have been just used for begging along the way. He says don't bring the bag. They don't need two tunics, just one. Just the bare minimum, which is all that a peasant likely would have owned and carried with him. They don't need to worry about stocking up on extra sandals or walking sticks. Just take what you have and go in faith, knowing that the Lord will provide. And then verse 11, Jesus goes on and says, Whatever town or village you enter, 
Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. What does Jesus mean to find out who is worthy? We already got a clue there during the kids' time. And, and actually, the word worthy can not only mean, you know, deserving. It can also mean suitable or worthwhile. So who's the person who responds to the message of the kingdom? Don't waste your time trying to convince a hostile person to give you lodging. Stay with the suitable one, the one who's worthy, the one who is receptive to both the message and the messenger. And then here is another imperative from Jesus. He says, find out. In other words, you go inquire. You question, you scour, you search, you seek out diligently and carefully. Don't go to the closest house. Don't go to the most convenient stop or the nicest accommodations. No. Jesus says, you must diligently seek out the ones who will receive you as my sent out ones, and you stay with them. And Jesus says, you must stay there until you depart. Stay there. Another imperative. Stay there. Remain. Reside. Dwell. Abide with them. Find the worthy ones and remain with them. Even more imperative verbs from Jesus as he continues instructing his disciples in verses 12 and 13. He says, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Three verbs there. Greet, let your peace come, and let your peace return. All of them imperatives. All of them commands of Jesus. Greet the house, presumably with the traditional Jewish greeting of shalom, peace, a wish prayer, a spoken blessing over the house and the people in it. Greet it. Bring blessing on the house. Let your peace come upon it. But Jesus says if the house is not worthy, if it turns out that these people are not truly receptive of my sent out ones, he says, let your peace return to you. Now, he's not saying, you shall curse this house and say, may peace never be upon you. He's not. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. Instead, he's just saying, don't stay there. Just move on. Move on. You've lost Nothing. Your blessing of peace just returns to you ready to be spoken again at the next house that you find ready to receive you. And then lastly, Jesus tells them in verses 14 and 15, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And that's the last imperative verb of the passage, shake off. 
Religious Jews of that day, when they returned home from traveling through Gentile or Samaritan lands, would vigorously shake all the dust off of their sandals and out of their clothing so as to not even carry so much as the dirt from these unclean regions into the holy land of Israel. So here the disciples would be indicating that these lost sheep of Israel, by not receiving or listening to the message of their shepherd Messiah Jesus, were just as lost as the surrounding pagan cultures that they so looked down upon as unholy. In fact, Jesus says the fate of that town will be worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah, which any Jew who knew their Bible would associate as the emblem of moral depravity and heinous sin and the rightful recipients of God's fiery judgment. It will be more bearable on Judgment Day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the town that rejects the sent ones of Jesus. Well, there's a lot there, and it's only the beginning of this commissioning discourse that Jesus is sending out his apostles here in Matthew chapter 10. There's, such a, there's a ton that we can unpack. There's a ton that we can apply. But I want to start here first just with these last couple of verses that we read. You know, a lot's changed since Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in 1741. Hell and judgment don't seem to be popular topics in church anymore. It seems people nowadays just want to hear five steps to a fulfilling life or some such thing. Or we want to talk about God's love and try not to think about his righteous judgment. But Jesus doesn't ever skip over stuff. He always tells the truth. He gives it to us straight. Consider John 3.16. We all know that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus talks about love and judgment in the same verse. He doesn't skip over the should not perish part. So what's perishing? Well, according to this verse, perishing is the opposite of everlasting life. What's the opposite of everlasting life, everlasting death. Eternal judgment and separation from God. So what could be worse than the fire and brimstone judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, that was a singular event. The eternal version is infinitely worse. Jesus Christ has a sense of urgency. He says, pray for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. And then he's like, okay, guys, let's go. 
sending you out. Don't grab money or any stuff. Let's go. This is urgent business. If you don't have faith in Christ today, I want you to know that your situation truly is urgent. Sin separates us from God, and that separation will continue into eternity. But now let me give you the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus Christ has come to save people from their sins. Jesus sees you and has compassion for you. He sees you as a lost sheep harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. But he says, I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. For God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and bear the penalty of our sins, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We want you to know and love Jesus Christ. This is our mission here at Meadows Christian Fellowship. By faith, we pray that you would receive this urgent, good news. And church, here at Meadows, we do say our mission is to honor God by helping people to know and love and become like Jesus Christ. And as we see in this passage a picture of what it looks like to go and help people know and love Jesus Christ, I think we also see a picture of what becoming like Jesus looks like. The process with us is the same as those first apostles. We're called. We're given to. We're sent. We have been called by name. Freely given of his grace and salvation. Freely given the indwelling Holy Spirit and his sanctification and his gifts and his fruit. And we have been sent out. We are apostled out to go as laborers into the Lord's harvest. Unlike the limited commission to the lost sheep of Israel, we have been given the great commission to every nation and all people. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are called. We are called according to his purpose, called to be conformed to the image of Christ, to become like Jesus. So how do we become like Jesus? Know and love seems like so easy to grasp, and then become seems a little nebulous sometimes. But I think we have a clear picture here. I think we have to notice that for 
these first apostles, and for us as well, becoming like Jesus happens when we fully submit to him. Becoming like Jesus comes through obedience to him. And what does it look like? It looks the same as what we just saw. We're sent out with his authority. Christ's authority is the basis for our sending. In this first commissioning of the 12, Christ gives them authority and sends them out. He says, here's my authority, now go. And in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Christ has authority over all of heaven and earth. He sends us out and says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Remember our definition of apostles. Remember they're sent out ones, commissioned representatives, sent on the, on the full authority of the sender to the extent that he accurately represented the sender's mission. When we obey Jesus' call, we become like Jesus as he gives us his authority. And he sends us out on his mission. Back in chapter 4 of Matthew, we saw that Jesus left Nazareth, his hometown. And he went. He preached, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He made disciples, calling his first followers to himself. He went throughout the whole region, preaching, teaching, and healing. And so now he says to his uh, disciples, I'm giving you the authority to take up my mission. You're called according to my purpose. Go be about my mission. And he says the same to us. So we become more like Christ. We're conformed to his image. When we obey his call and take up his mission as our own. When we go where he goes. And as we obey the call of Christ, and as Christ gives us his authority to take up his mission, we become more like Jesus as we preach his message, as we proclaim. The 12 were told to proclaim the exact same message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And what's our message? The kingdom of heaven has come near. And Jesus is king. He's triumphed over sin at the cross. He's been raised from the grave victorious over sin and death. He has come to save people from their sins. And this king desires for you to enter his kingdom. Believe and be saved. We become more like Jesus. We're conformed to his image when we proclaim his message and say what he says. And we become like Jesus when we participate in in his miracles. Matthew Henry writes in his commentary, and if you don't own that commentary, get it. It's free online. It's old, but it's really good. He writes in his commentary that Jesus sent these disciples out with the authority to do miracles for two reasons. First was to confirm the truth of the gospel message that they were preaching. And the second was to be a blessing to people in order to demonstrate the heart of the gospel message that they were preaching. 
The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of goodness and grace and healing and holiness and cleansing. Now, I don't know about you, I have never personally raised the dead, nor have I cast out a demon. I'm not saying those things can't happen. Nothing is impossible with God. But that doesn't mean that we don't still uh, participate in the miraculous work of Jesus. When we go and speak the truth of the gospel to a friend or neighbor, God is at work and he is working a miracle. When we pray with a coworker or a family member for healing, God is working a miracle. When we pray with someone here at church because of a hard situation that they're going through, God is at work and he is working a miracle. How much more when someone comes to faith in Jesus? Miracles still happen. And we can believe that God is at work in all of these situations and he is working for good, working through us to confirm the truth of the gospel and to be a blessing to the world and to confirm the heart of the gospel. We become like Jesus. We're conformed to his image when we participate in his miracles and we do what he does. And we become like Jesus when we trust in God's provision, when we look to him alone to give us all that we need to carry out the mission that he has called us to. The disciples didn't need to load up on money or supplies, just the bare necessities. God will provide Nowhere during Jesus' ministry did he ever fail to accomplish what he set out to do because he didn't have enough stuff. Jesus came, he obeyed the Father, he lived in the power of the Spirit, he prayed, he didn't need anything else. I can't help but remember being part of the memorial service last summer for Gail Borvik. Mark, you did that service, and I was privileged to lead the music. And Paul, if you're watching on live stream, hello, we miss you. The thing I'll never forget about that service is frog. Frog is how Gail lived. Frog is what she passed along to her family. And as people got up and spoke at her memorial service, what kept coming up over and over and over again was Frog. Fully rely on God. As individuals and as a church, we must continue to fully rely on God. Think about it. Whose calling is it? Who gave us everything? Who sent us? Whose harvest is it? Whose sheep are they? Whose kingdom is it? Everything belongs to the Lord. As Paul writes in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We can't rely on our own wealth or skill or smarts or strength. We must fully rely on God and so we are conformed 
to the image of Christ. We become like Jesus. And lastly, as we become like Christ, we recognize that just like Jesus, we will be both received and rejected. Our passage today is only the beginning of this much larger discourse that continues all the way through the rest of the chapter 10, and Jesus will have more to say about this. But for us, it's simply important to know that as we take up Christ's mission, as we proclaim his message, as we participate in his miracles, we will also be received by some people, and we will be rejected by some people, just like Jesus was. And in this we should rejoice because it means that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We're becoming like Jesus. There are quite a few takeaways that we could pull from this passage, but we're going to narrow it down to three. The first one, become like Jesus. Obey his commands. Take up his mission. Proclaim his message. Participate in his miracles. Christ has called us. He's given us everything. And he's sending us out into his harvest field. Go where Jesus goes. Say what Jesus says. Do what Jesus does. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Become like Jesus. Our second takeaway for today, three imperatives. Find, stay, bless. There were so many commands in this passage. But these three, I think, are probably the most practical maybe for us today. Find out. Be diligent to seek out who it is in your life who is receptive to you as a follower of Jesus. Seek them out. Find out who they are. And then stay. Remain with them. Abide. Be there when they need you. And bless them. Just as the disciples were to Greet the house with a blessing. Be a blessing to that person. Let the peace of Christ come to them and to their family through you. Confirm both the truth of the gospel and the heart of the gospel to them. Find and stay and bless. And then lastly, frog. Fully rely on God. Trust him to provide. Trust him for the results. As we're obeying and becoming like Christ, yes, we will be received and we will be rejected. Just like he was. But remember that it's his harvest field and it's not ours. We're only the laborers. We're the ones called. We're the ones given to. And we're the ones sent. Fully rely on God. So let's pray that these things are true of us. Let's pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that we would have his compassion for lost sheep. That he would send us out 
into the harvest. And in so doing, that we would become more like him, shaped into his image more and more, day by day. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, truly, all things come from you. And we are fully under your authority. And it is only right that we submit to you and your commands. And so, God, I just pray that you would give us hearts willing to obey today, that we would submit to you. Lord, we lift up prayers for our world today. Lord, the war in Ukraine is not stopping. There is no peace there right now. And so, God, we pray for your peace in that region. That you would stop the bloodshed. And that somehow the light of the gospel would shine in that dark place. Lord, we pray your blessing and your comfort for those families who have lost loved ones. Lord, I think of Anna Swartzel's family. She lost her cousin. Lord, I know Susan Harold lost her godmother last week. And Lord, I pray for your comfort in these situations and your peace. Lord, we celebrate baptism today. And we rejoice that we can participate in seeing the testimony of new life in Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask that you would work through us as a church, Lord. Even in the midst of transition, Lord, we want to see you continue to work miracles of faith. We pray that you would send us out, that we would go, that we would continue to make disciples and that more would continue to get baptized in the triune name. That we would teach and that we would obey all of your commands, knowing that you are always with us to the end of the age. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work in us. And pray that we would be willing to go where you go, to say what you say, to do what you do. And we pray these things in your name.